Welcome. You are listening to Park Avenue Podcasts, and this is Rabbi Elliot Cosgrove. While it's always better to hear it live, this is a place to be to catch the music, sermons, and select programs of Park Avenue Synagogue. If you like what you are hearing or want to learn more about the community, please check out our website at www.pasyn.org. Enjoy our latest installment. is a professional development podcast for educators who are teaching Jewish things in Jewish schools. We're your hosts, Jen Stern-Granowitz and Aaron Beezer, Jewish educators from New York City. Our guest today is Cantor Brook. Welcome, Cantor. Among your many, many roles at Park Avenue Synagogue, primarily, of course, you are our Cantor, but you are the director of the Purim Spiel, which you are in the process of producing as Purim is coming up very soon. Good evening, friends, and welcome to Park Avenue Synagogue's annual Purim festivities. So can you give us some background on the PAS Purim Spiel? So a little bit of background about the PAS Purim Spiel. One of the things that makes our Purim Spiel so unique. It's got a nice 30 year plus tradition at PAS of heavy lay involvement. It is entirely written, the songs are entirely written by lay congregants, the um, script is entirely written by congregants. We have a lot of intergenerational spielers, we call them spielers, we are a community of uh, Purim Spielers at Park Avenue. And it's just a really fabulous corner of the community where people come in ready to give of themselves and to enhance the holiday in a really unique and funny and particular way. Why do we turn what's a, a pretty serious story that we read in the Megillah into this like extremely lighthearted musical play, spiel, that we perform? Well, not I perform, but you and the spielers perform. <laughs> Next year, Jen. Next year. We'll get you. The thing about our Purim story and its darkness is that it's actually not that different from any of our inherited stories. Our stories are ancient. And if we're taking ancient stories, whether they're from Torah or from medieval times or anything in between or post, there's a lot of darkness. Darkness permeates our tradition, our history, our culture. And what do people do when the world seems overwhelming and the world seems dark? We laugh. We turn to laughter. That's how we survive. I would say as a human species, laughter is good for our health in many ways, emotional and physical. But Purim, I think, is one really strong example of kind of taking a, a story, which actually, I mean, in our modern sensibilities, it's very dark, but it hasn't always felt that way. It actually is a very heroic story, right? Like it's about overcoming seemingly overwhelming obstacles that we as a people thrived over and then were vengeful over, which again, nowadays is really hard for us to integrate into like healthy um, educational tactics, but at the same time, for a people that felt very oppressed and powerless, to have this story of great power and perseverance was to be celebrated. So I don't even know if the intention of it was always to be funny, but it was to be parodied. And there's something very um, healthy about the idea that, like, look at this story. It was all the odds were stacked against us, and we were able to overcome it and win the day. Okay, so what are some of these adult themes of Purim that we tend to 
gloss over with kids. Can you take us through some of these? Adult themes is a pretty modern concept. Even from the time I was a child, or we were children, till now. Things that we think are healthy or suitable for our kids to understand. Because it's everything from drunkenness, and nakedness, and murder, and revenge, and secrecy, and I mean, the list goes on and on. We gloss over it, I don't know, I mean, it depends on the community. Our spiel glosses over it. Really, the characters are important. Right? Like, what are we trying to pass on to our kids? We want them to know the stories to some degree, but we don't want them to know the full story yet. These stories are not going anywhere. They can unfold over time. We don't need to, like, feed the way we feed baby birds. Like, we don't need to take everything we've ingested and put it into our children, right, from the start about the extent of what these stories actually say. And in fact, there is a real benefit to taking the characters alone, which I think is something we do a lot in our spiel. So we're laying the foundation, we're laying the groundwork to have more complicated conversations as they get older. Is there a moment where we are not being fully authentic with our children as learners when we skip over those parts of the Megillah or when we talk about, I don't know if you have a scene in the spiel where there's a beauty contest. Like I remember learning a lot about that beauty contest and it's like oh wait was it a beauty contest or were all of the women in the kingdom being rounded up for a night of forced sex with the king and so is is there a moment where we miss that boat and we sort of we do a disservice to our children by telling the story in an entertaining way and we miss the opportunity somewhere somewhere down the line to teach them some of the darker parts of the story that they then feel are disingenuous to the story itself. I don't believe we are, right? What good does it do for my six-year-old to learn that there was forced sex among the young virgins in Shushan to win the king's favor, right? It doesn't do her any good. I sit with that every year that we do this spiel and we do this beauty contest. And my hope is that the next generation will be able to evolve this conversation further. But what we do is we turn the beauty contest into something more recognizable for our modern audience, right? These women are competing because one is the smartest and she deserves to be the queen you know like we're working in the system of it right now and my hope is that the next generation like when lila directs her spiel in 30 years is she's going to do away with the beauty contest because there's a different way to tell this story i'm not there right i'm still working with what i was fed and trying to evolve it in that way but i don't believe that we do them a disservice by skipping over parts of the story parts of the story are not appropriate for young children. They're just not. And, we, and it is strange because Purim is considered this very family-friendly holiday. And we do a lot of things to make it very family-friendly. And all around the world, Jews celebrate it with things that are meant for kids, like a carnival and cookies and parades and costumes. That's all really fun. But yes, the story itself is very dark. All of our stories are. I don't feel that we do a disservice to them by taking the parts of the story that can help them learn, help them feel proud to be Jewish. And I agree, and I don't think the conversation has to disappear. The beauty contest is such a great example. Because even, by the way, even if it was a legit beauty contest, like. I don't want my daughter being raised on that as being aspirational, that she should be like Esther because Esther was so pretty, because Esther won the king's favor. So really the king is the center of this story because all the power rests on him. No, but let's not get rid of the Purim story. Let's use the Purim story to talk about what it means to be a woman, what power means, what how we use the power we're given and what it means to be in proximity to power, 
right? These are excellent conversations. I mean, I think it just goes back to this idea that I don't think our stories are there to be read in the shot, like in the simplest form and be internalized in the simplest form. No, they're there for us to work with. Our tradition evolves. We are conservative Jews in a modern world. We believe that our tradition is evolving and alive and Purim is part of it. The idea that Haman wants to kill all the Jews, right? This is core. Is that an appropriate thing to be teaching children as young as three and four, that they should come home thinking that there was a bad man a long time ago? They don't have a concept of time and space. They don't know when this bad person lived or that there are bad people alive today that want to kill all the Jews. How do we understand that component of the story? So first of all, I love what you just said, and I, I just, it made me laugh because I was thinking about Elias, my son, who's three, and everything is yesterday. So you're right. And in our spiel, we don't talk about Haman wanting to kill all the Jews. We talk about Haman wanting everyone to bow down to him. So we're entering into this idea of he is a bad person because all he cares about is himself. And all he cares about is power. And what is power? And what? why don't the Jews want to bow down to Haman? Because that's not something we do and he can't make us do that with our bodies, right? Like we talk about it in the language that they understand because they're starting to learn about their bodies and their autonomy, right? And this is really with our youngest kids, but even as like elementary age kids. Haman wanting to kill all the Jews is that specific understanding of it is something that can be reserved for later on because we've already laid the groundwork that Haman was not a good guy. Haman is not a safe person. For yes, as we get older and those unfortunate realities start to come into our consciousness, but in a in a controlled and safe way that we can talk about it, yeah, Haman is the precursor to something that has never gone away and existed before him. And yes, you, my child, are a part of a people who other people want to exterminate. And Haman is actually a prototype for that. So actually, they've already laid the groundwork for understanding what that means, but we don't have to feed that to them at the youngest age because we actually have another example in the Purim story. He wanted us to bow down. That was not a thing we wanted to do. He wanted to make us do that, so we do not like him. And I found that that's a really, like, it's a sufficient way to frame it without traumatizing the kids. We don't have enough time. It's like something that like rings, I think, a lot in teachers' minds, in my mind. And so I think it's also a good reminder to just take a step back and say, this is how much time we have. This is what we've decided is the goal in kindergarten for Purim. This is the goal we've decided for third grade for Purim. We're not going to cover every element of the Purim story from what's age appropriate to kindergarten to what adults are going to take away from the Purim spiel. Both teach what, what is age appropriate, but also what is sort of like will stick and is important in that moment and that lesson and that curriculum that we're not going to cover everything. There's a variety of reasons we can't teach everything. It's not appropriate to teach everything. We don't have time to teach everything. It's a lifelong learning process, as you said, right? So it's not all going to happen in one year of Hebrew school or, or Jewish day school. You're not going to learn. It's a lifelong learning process. So I think that's also like a good reminder to me to not feel bad about what either as an educator or as a parent that we're quote unquote glossing over because it's the spiral curriculum. You know, I think a lot of our Jewish holidays have these stories that are dark and take weird twists and turns. But for Purim, one of the biggest traditions is the story to hear it to see it acted out in front of you, to confront it. And so I think it brings up all the things that we've been talking about. But for Purim, the holiday really centers on the story. That's a great, great point. And I think that is kind of where the pressure comes from, is that we should all know the story because the holiday is about the story. And so what do we do with that? But I think my charge would be just to think more expansively about what the story is. We've inherited the stories that we are in charge of passing down. And yet 
we have evolved as people and we will continue to evolve. How do we want to tell these stories if we've all agreed that we're going to tell the stories? But I do think our tendency as educators, and I put myself in that bracket, is to try to get it all in. And that really doesn't serve us. In the end, it's like, what is the distilled message that I want these children to take today? Because tomorrow we'll come back. Or tomorrow they'll go somewhere else and hear this story and remember, oh, I heard of Esther. I heard of Haman. He was not good. I heard of Esther. She was brave. And then as they get older, be like, oh, what made Esther so brave? Or I don't actually think Esther was brave. And suddenly they have an opinion on it. And how cool is that? That our kids have an opinion on our stories. That's what we want. We want them to be engaged as Jews and to have an opinion and to have a say and to have an interpretation on what we gave them when they were children, right? And that's actually what's so beautiful about a spiel. Because as we know, as educators, integrative learning is the best way to really absorb something. And so how does it sit with us now? What are the elements of it that we can take and celebrate? And what are the elements of it that do not sit with our modern senses anymore? What is worth preserving and emphasizing, right? We've acknowledged sort of some of the elements of the story that you know, we don't want to teach to young children or we want to, have, we want to have kids come to as they get older or as they become adults. What is eternal about the story? Like, what are the things that, you know, at the Cantor, as the director of the program spiel, that you would say to keep? and to preserve. Some of it is actually not about the story, but some of it is about the experience because I can answer that in two parts. One is I would say fun and laughter. That is a part of the tradition of Purim and let's capitalize on that, right? This is a time when we come together, when we expect to laugh, when we expect to have fun, when we expect to dress up and let's own that and let's celebrate that. We need that. We need that this year more than ever, but we kind of just need it all the time. And Purim is this one pointed moment in our holiday cycle of our calendar that we really expect it. So let's do that. Let's never shy away from that. We always need to laugh. And then in terms of the story, it kind of goes back to some of those more universal and timeless elements that really exist there. Bravery and courage and unity and what courage looks like um, in a gendered context, like what was a, what was the power available to Esther at the time that she existed? Because in a lot of ways, I think we can write off Esther and say, oh, look, well, look what she did. She, she really used her sexuality and sensuality to ingratiate herself in power. And then she didn't even want to do it. She had to have her arm twisted by her uncle or her cousin to say, look, this is what you have to do. But then you look at it from the other angle and see, look, this woman lived in a time that we would like to tell ourselves is so different from our current world, but really is very recognizable in that she used the power that was available to her. And she was facing unimaginable obstacles in terms of how she could use that power, that small power that she was given, and she overcame her fear. And she put everything on the line, everything. She could have been killed for what she did. She put everything on the line to do something that was bigger than her. How did she do it? And can we see ourselves in her? But yeah, in terms of the story, I think there's there's timeless universal elements to it. And then there's just the experience of it that we should celebrate forever and ever. We always need to laugh. And the story is not so funny, but the way we have come to tell the story over the last millennia is fun and funny. Yes, the fun and the laughter, I agree with you every year and especially this year feel extremely important. And I also 
Purim last year was the last time we were really physically together. We celebrated Purim. It was like on the cusp. Or we didn't have a carnival. We had a spiel. People were there. People were nervous to come. And it's Purim again. And our Purim spiel will be virtual. It's been a year of living together apart. Yeah, we're really conscious of that. And from the beginning of kind of creating this spiel, we just put that at the forefront that spiel is fun. And at Park Avenue Synagogue, spiel is is very funny and fun and celebratory. And we wanted to lean into that this year because we very much recognize that this was the last time we were all together in person. There's a lot of pain around that. And so this year, acknowledging that has felt really heavy, but it made us want to lean into the laughter even more, recognizing that like we need to laugh right now. We need to feel that we're together in some way. We need to enjoy ourselves. So let's take that responsibility very seriously to bring some laughter into people's lives. Well, we know you have a lot of work to do, so we don't want to keep you. Thank you for taking a minute to talk to us about how we talk about Purim. Thank you. Thank you, Jen and Aaron, for having me. And break a leg? Is that what we say? We like to treat our Purim spiel as if it's a Broadway production. So yes, you can tell us that. It's great to have you, Cantor. Remind us the date and the time. Where where should we watch this fabulous Purim spiel? Purim spiel is going to air on Thursday, February 25th at 7 p.m., followed immediately by some fun Megillah reading. Um, and you can find it on our PAS website. It's going to be live streamed, and everybody should come join. And we just hope to see you all there. We want to hear from you. If you are planning a lesson or there's something that's on your mind, tell us about it. We want this podcast to be useful to you, our fellow educators. Be sure to subscribe to the Park Avenue Synagogue podcast channel to download and listen to future episodes of How We Talk About. for listening to Park Avenue Podcasts, a place to be to catch the music, sermons, and select programs of Park Avenue Synagogue. If you like what you are hearing or want to learn more about the community, please check out our website at www.pasyn.org. See you in shul.